We are proud to partner with MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Students can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, wind time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and so much more. Even my favorite, Synergy Time. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com BE. This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies EdTech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com BE. That's IXL.com slash B-E. Welcome to Transformative Principle, where I help you stop putting out fires and start leading. I'm your host, Jethro Jones. You can follow me on Twitter at Jethro Jones. Welcome to the Transformative Principle Podcast. Today on the show, our guest is Eric Branstetter. He's a former fifth grade teacher, media specialist, and building level administrator. He's had a passion for technology integration in the classroom, and he's co-founded the EdTech company, I Aspire. Good morning, Eric. Hey, good morning, Eric. Thanks for having me today. Yeah, you're welcome. Really excited to have you on the show. We've been talking this season about um, some things to help new principals. And a common theme and topic is recruiting and retaining educators. So let's start with Eric. Tell us a little bit about your background and um, your experiences in education. And yeah, yeah, sounds good. So I'm a, like you said, a former fifth grade teacher, media specialist. Always love this idea of of technology integration in the classroom. So what can we do with technology? I was young and naive, and I consider myself a pretty conservative person. But decided to start an ed tech company. I still know nothing about software to this day, but I started a software <laughs> company about 10 years ago, and it was focused on teacher evaluations. You know, I'm from the state of Indiana. A lot of things changed in Indiana in terms of evaluation 10, 12, 13 years ago. Saw an opportunity, went with it, um, then spent four years as being an administrator trying to run my own company. And it got to a point where I wasn't doing anything well. I wasn't a good husband. I wasn't a good father. I wasn't a good administrator. I certainly didn't know how to run a business at that time. But we grew to the point where I said, you know, I feel comfortable stepping away from, I tell people all the time, probably the best education job you could have. My staff was amazing. I was an assistant principal. My principal was amazing. But I just, I felt like I had this calling with technology and how do we improve lives of administrators and lives of teachers. So I spent about six years now doing that, the, the ed tech company, we got acquired, um, focused a lot on this idea of teacher retention on how do we, how do you create an environment where teachers choose to stay? And that's always the question that we ask ourselves is what, what's it like to be a teacher? And what can we do as administrators, as school leaders to improve the overall employee experience within education? Yeah. And, and, and I forgot to mention, that's actually the title of your podcast that you host, the employee experience in education. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. Listeners can't tell it's a little intimidating, but you've got a much more professional microphone than I do this morning. Oh uh, no, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's just a mic. It, it looks better than it sounds probably. Yeah. It, it, it looks pretty, it looks pretty official. Um, well, as a building administrator, you know, I, th- I think a lot of us can relate to what you talked about, just feeling like you weren't the best at any one thing. A couple guests and I and, Je- and Jethro, um, who's, who's founded the show, have talked a lot about 
trying to balance just the job and a family. I have no idea how you could do that when you throw in starting your own company. Mm-hmm. Um, but what are, what are some of the things that you did or some suggestions you have for administrators to help balance that for those of us that aren't trying to run a company, but just, just trying to manage the day-to-day job with the responsibilities of trying to be a good, a good husband, good father, good mother. Yeah, that's, that's such a good question because what, and this has come out a lot in the podcast. So I've spoken with a lot of former teachers, a lot of, of current administrators, and so many times the conversation comes back to, there's just so much on my plate at any given time. And I talk a lot about what I call the hero paradox in education. And that is teachers feel like they need to have all the answers. Administrators feel like they need to have all the answers. There's kind of a lack of, of I don't know if it's vulnerability or what it is, but an unwillingness at times to say, I don't know the answer to this question, I'll come back to it. Or to directly answer your question, there's too much on my plate right now. What can I remove? What are my top priorities? What can I step back from and say, this is not going to take up this much of my time, attention, and energy at the moment? So what I noticed from myself as an administrator is, you know, I remember one day going from a meeting about our roof to talking about cafeteria tables, and I stopped by the nurse's office, and then there was a line of teachers waiting to talk to me. And that was an aha moment of why am I making everything revolve around me? Now, obviously, as the administrator, a lot of decisions come down to you. There's a lot of independent things that you have to make decisions about. But at some point, there is this, for me at least, there was an awakening of I'm doing too much right now. So really this idea of what what's most important for me right now, and then beyond just right now, trying to be proactive and say what's most important for me next week and next month. Because administrators, we spend so much time putting out fires. Administrators are firefighters all day long, putting out fires, putting out fires. And it's so hard to get ahead of those fires when you're in the middle of firefighting all the time. So what I recommend is just take schedule 30 minutes, 60 minutes on your calendar and have that maybe once a week even, and just say, this is my time to figure out what's important for me moving forward, reflecting on what's taking up so much of my time, and then moving forward, what can I do to prevent those things from taking up so much of my time? It's easy to talk about, it's really hard to put into practice, but I think what's most important is stepping back and saying, where am I putting my time right now? Is it the best use of my time? And then what can I delegate? Who, who are my teacher leaders I can give some of this responsibility to? Am I, am I focused on things that are not important? Am I doing things that I believe are important, but maybe my staff doesn't believe is important or my students don't believe is important? And again, that's easy thing to talk about. It's hard to make that a practice. So I recommend schedule blocking as much as possible and putting this time on your calendar saying, so in business, we talk about working on the business or working in the business. Working in the business is, I'm a salesperson, I'm going to go make sales, I'm going to work on customer support. Working on the business is, what are my metrics? What do we need to focus on as a company? So administrators can have that same mentality. I can work in the school or I can work on the school. And calendar blocking and saying I'm going to work on the school, which is, I need to make everything more efficient. I need to make, make it so there are less fires that are being put out or need to be put out every day. And I know a lot of administrators feel like I do where you go home and you're, you're exhausted and you worked hard, you know, physically, mentally, emotionally, but, but you look in the mirror and you're like, well, what did I accomplish or how did I get better? How did our school get better? And yeah, it's a challenge. And it's, I I think that schedule blocking is a great suggestion. There's just so many things in the nature of the job that are unpredictable. You know, Mm -hmm. you can't, you can't put on your calendar when, you know, fires are going to start and, and how mm-hmm. big they're going to be because you don't know, which which makes the job interesting. I always thought if I <laughs> left education, I'd probably feel kind of bored. Like, yeah. what, is, what is this predictable schedule where you can decide what you do when you do it? Yeah, so. it's not always. So th- there's kind of a mindset of, and I, I had a guest recently talking about work from home. She's a former teacher. And she had this idea of what work from home was going to be like. And then she's like, Eric, it's not what I expected whatsoever. And in a variety of reasons, but calendar blocking doesn't have to happen during school hours. It could be, I know Eric, you get to school really early every day. 
right? So it could be 30 minutes before anybody else gets to work. It could be 30 minutes. You block off on a Friday afternoon, tell your staff, hey, this is my reflection time. So it doesn't have to be during the time in which there are those fires that need to be put out. But the importance here is that you have a schedule that works for you and you focus on working on the school instead of working in the school at that time. Yeah, I like that. That's a good, that's a good way to, to word it. Um, one, one thing I wanted to talk a little bit about, Eric, is, you know, we discussed how most, most districts um, and schools, when, when they set things up for teachers, they kind of have silos. Like, t- here's our teacher evaluation silo. Here's our professional development silo. Here's our curriculum silo. But your, um, your software and your, your podcast topic, you talk about the employee experience. So explain to us, how, how is that different than the way most districts look at um, employee experiences? Yeah, it, it's interesting. So in business, employee experience is a term that's been around for several years now. I have yet to speak with many educators that talk about the employee experience. And the most simple definition of employee experience is a question. And that question is, what is it like to work here? So separating out, you know, you talked about silos. We have lots of silos, lots of things. We have professional development in a silo. We have, you know, calendars, schedules, and everything happens in a silo. And what the employee experience is, is taking it up one more level and think of it as here are all the things that happen with and to teachers and staff and administrators. So the idea of what is it like to work here? And I think when you put on that lens, you change your thinking from I have a schedule to work on and I have behavior to work on and I have teacher evaluations to work on and I know I need to do some recognition. You change it from these individual things and you start thinking holistically throughout the day, throughout the week, throughout the month, what what all happens to and with our teachers. So I think when you start when you start bracketing this as this is all one one big thing that we're doing, I think what it does is it it changes it changes the the amount of time you spend on things. So for example, teacher evaluations, right? We do teacher evaluation software. I've been doing it for about 10 years now. When we talk to a lot of school leaders about teacher evaluations, they say, you know, we have a pre-op and we have an observation and we have a post-op. All of these things happen. And then I say, well, what does professional development look like? Well, yeah, we meet every Monday and then we have, you know, and then, okay, what, what does it look like for you to, to work with your students or your, your teachers on PBIS for student behavior? Yeah, we do all of these other things. So when you think of things in a silo, you you lose the periphery you lose okay there's also evaluations happening and there's also pbis and there's social emotional learning you you kind of lose track of all the all the asks that we have of our teachers one of the big things and this has come up from every former educator i've spoken with they said one of the reasons they quit is because there's too much on their plates and nothing ever gets taken away and that it's so true i am 100 percent guilty of that as a former administrator myself and I think a lot of that is because I knew what our goal was, again, in PD. I knew our, our evaluation. I knew our social-emotional learning. But I never stepped back and said, what are we asking of all of our teachers? And then more importantly, I think, even going back to what I mentioned a little bit ago about the calendar blocking, are the things that we're working on things that I find important or are they things that the teachers find important? So part of the employee experience our recommendation is you have to either talk to your people. If you have really good relationships with them, talk to them, ask them how they're doing. What barriers can you remove? If that trust isn't there, doing some kind of an anonymous survey. But those survey questions have to be focused on the employee experience. What we've noticed is a lot of survey companies out there, they'll do culture and climate and they have student perception data and they have parent community. That's all great but we have a teacher shortage crisis right now, right? We are not able to attract enough people to the profession. We're certainly not able to retain, retain people. And the reason that teachers are leaving is because they're saying, you're telling me to do too much. You're putting too much on my plates. So being very intentional with asking people, how are you doing? What else do you need from me? How can I help you? That's all critical to the employee experience because without that perception, most of the times administrators walk around with blinders on. And again, to your point, they think about things in silos. Here's professional development. Okay. That's done for the day. Now I have to move on to whatever the next 50 different tasks are that you have on your list. Instead of what does my staff need from me right now? The other, and I'm, I'm battling with this internally as well. And a question I've asked several people on the podcast is 
what do you find to be the role of the school administrator, principal, assistant principal? Is it the instructional leader or is it the people leader? And I get a lot of pushback right away saying it's the instructional leader. So I, one of the guests, I asked the same question. He said, I'm 100% instructional leader. I'm 100% people leader. I said, Jared, that's not possible. You can't be 100% of both. Later on, he goes on to explain that he's exhausted and tired. And to your point, like he goes home just spent at the end of every day. And he's like you, gets to school really early, stays, you know, 12, 13, 14 hour days. I said, Jared, you can't, you can't do both. You can't be 100% instructional and people leader. So with that understanding and realization, where are you going to spend your time? And right now, I'm, I'm very much adamant on we need to have people leaders first in schools, not necessarily instructional leaders. One of the big things, one of my big pillars, if you will, is you know, happy teachers don't leave. And I think that's so true. If you think about staff you've had, Eric, that have left, how many of them have been really happy people that have left the profession? I can't think of any. Right? I'm the same. And we even had, we had teachers that left our school and went to a different school, which, I mean, even that by itself, they left for a reason. Sometimes it's because, you know, their kid was attending the other school. Sometimes it's because, hey, Eric, I need to work under a different administrator, which I, I totally understand mm -hmm. that. But those four, those four simple words, happy teachers don't quit. That was an aha moment for me recently, which goes back to the idea of the employee experience. And that is, how are you doing as a person? It goes back to what am I spending my time on as an administrator, instructional leader? Am I a people leader? And now I think we have to be people leaders first. We have to create this environment where people feel heard, supported, and valued. Because if they're not, there are all of these polls. There's on LinkedIn, there's a transitioning teachers hashtag that's popular. Lots of people transitioning from the classroom. Teachers are trying to find something else that will make them happy because they know going to school right now, several, not everybody, obviously, several are saying, I'm not happy here. There's a pull from industry, pull from ed tech. There's a pull from customer support where they know I can work from remote or I can be a hybrid. I have the ability to go to the bathroom at any point in time that I want to. Like all of those little things add up. But when you start saying, what is it like for you to work here? I think that's where a lot of that magic can get unlocked. So, so if you were working with uh, an administrator who, you know, most of us have been pushed to, towards and here often, you know, be the instructional leader, be the instructional leader, and, and they wanted to make a shift towards being more of the people leader, what would, what would that look like? Yeah, I think that goes back to, so it starts with calendar blocking. And by that, what I mean is start to recognize what you do during the day. Start to recognize how much time you put into instructional leadership, how much time you put into people leadership. Because some people listening today, they may be people first leaders, but think they're instructional leaders. And you have no way of knowing that unless and until you step back a little bit and say, let's, let's map out a week. What's a typical week? What's a typical month look like for me? Um, so I think that's part of it. I think the other big part is how, how much time and energy are you focused on? And this is another kind of, uh, I get some pushback on this as well. How much time are you spending on your students versus how much time are you spending on your teachers? And by that, I mean, schools have always been student first. And I, obviously that's why schools exist. Mm -hmm. All research shows is teachers are the number one influencer on student achievement. Yeah. And if you don't have teachers in your classroom, what's happening? So you increase class sizes, you pull paraprofessionals. So possibly you're looking at special education services not being met because you had to pull for teachers that aren't there. You have these wonderful human beings that come to school every day and by I'm teachers is what I'm referring to here. And they want to make an impact on kids. Let them make their impact, give them autonomy, give them, empower your people to do what they do really well. And then what that does is it, it changes your focus from, I have to be student, 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 which means the teacher is the lever to student achievement. And instead you think of your teachers as here, I have to unlock you because you're going to be the ones that impact our students the most. So those are a couple of quick things. Um, another one, and I'll, I'll probably talk about this a couple of times today is being willing to listen to your people and removing this ego remove, you know, cause 
principals are you're the boss of the school. You're the CEO of the school, if you will. You have a board of advisors from the outside saying, here's some things you need to be doing. But you're the CEO of the school. Many principals aren't willing to, to be open to, hey, constructive criticism or even negative criticism. So the, the employee experience surveys is a perfect example. If you give anonymous surveys, people aren't going to lie on those surveys most likely. They're going to give you the truth, especially if you say this is anonymous, I'll have no way of knowing it's you. Of course, some teachers will say, well, I can tell by my handwriting that it's me, <laughs> whatever. But what you have to do is you have to read people's survey data or listen in conversations. And the words they're sharing are typically the truth. There's no reason to be defensive. There is no, well, I, I know more than you because there's all of this context that you're not aware of. Like teachers don't care about the context. What they care about is what their employee experience is like in the moment. And unless you listen to people, you don't really have a way of truly understanding what their employee experience is like. So those are just a couple of ideas that I have. Yeah, I felt like that's one advantage for, for new principals when you come into a school. It's a lot easier to start with asking questions and listening because you don't know the history and you don't know the experience of, of the employees. But if you've been in the school for a long time, that maybe feels a little more personal, like, you know, that constructive feedback is an attack on you or you feel mm -hmm. like a failure that you haven't addressed that. And um, that's one thing I've enjoyed. And, and we did at the start of the year here was just some, some anonymous, um, you know, like, like you said, climate, culture type surveys just to see where people are but uh, we also have a lot of new staff where it's hard to get employee perceptions and and you know that they're if they're first year teachers in our school or first year employees it's like i don't know what the employee experience is i just got here i don't even know which keys open my door yeah and <laughs> so. that's so that, that is so what you just defined is the employee experience because for that first year teacher they're they're looking at you know base level stuff where is the bathroom where's my key oh my goodness i lost my password how do so that is the employee experience yeah so what happens is the employee experience changes for people over the course of time if i'm a first year teacher that's very different than i'm getting ready to retire so their experience is completely different so the other i guess really big part of this and this is probably the hardest is what what are the processes that we're going to run consistently across our organization that amplifies, that enhances the employee experience? One of those things being recognition, appreciation, mm -hmm. right? We have a, a four principles of connection survey that we do with schools. The lowest or second lowest question is typically the question, I feel appreciated for the work I do. So many teachers don't feel appreciated. So then that leads you back to, as an administrator, what, what can I do for appreciation? How do I make systems and processes that my people feel appreciated? They feel recognized. They feel respected for the work they do. So in a process for a first year teacher may be completely different than a process for a teacher that's, that's closer to retirement. Yeah. Right. So 44% of teachers leave in the first five years between, you know, years zero and five, 44%, 25% leave in the first year. So I know if I look at that data, the first year is critical for me to to keep my employees, keep my new teachers. So being very focused on the employee experience in that first year might be a priority for a principal over somebody who is two or three years away from retirement. I'm not saying that person that's close to retirement's employee experience is not important, but if you look at a macro level, I would much rather spend a little more time on this new teacher because if I, if I nurture the relationship, if I plant enough seeds within this person, they might be here for 20 or 30 years. So that's, so that's when you start to step back and say, I'm going to work on my school instead of work in my school. I know my highest leverage would be those beginning teachers. And maybe it's not year one of their teaching career. Maybe they've come from somewhere else. If that's the case, then you stop and think, okay, I have somebody who they were a flight risk at their previous school, right? They ended up leaving. Mm -hmm. I have to make sure that I'm extra careful to protect this person and to to amplify this person, make this person feel heard, supported, and valued because now you have a history of this person leaving. I don't know what the reason was. Maybe it's because a spouse moved, they didn't want to leave, I'm not sure. But you still have to plant those seeds, even if it's a new a veteran teacher coming into your building for the first time. Yeah, and, that, and that's interesting because I feel like when, when I try and do some kind of recognition, you know, there's always that, well, I got to make sure it's fair and it's, 
and it's equal and it's, you know, if you do this for these teachers, do this for those teachers, and then you got to include classified staff. But I, I really like that, you know, if you can look at teachers that are earlier in their career, earlier, uh, less experienced in the district and, and help them feel valued and welcomed and like they matter and get them past that, you know, year five, then you know, odds are you're going to keep them around mm -hmm. or at least keep them in the profession, um, goes up, goes up quite a bit. That's interesting. Yeah. What are the, I honestly, I feel like this is something a lot. I don't know if it's a type A thing, a lot of administrators, especially secondary male administrators are not good at recognition. I, when I, when I got my first job, um, I was part, part of my duty was an assistant principal at a middle school and, and the principal sat me down and, you know, we split up duties and, and went through responsibilities. And then one thing that he told me that surprised me, he said, Eric, I hear from teachers all the time. You don't do enough recognition. Mm. You don't have enough fun. I don't feel valued. He's like, help me do that. Well, I didn't know how to do that. Yeah. And I didn't know a lot of other principals that did. So, so give us some ideas. What are some meaningful ways that, that administrators can do that for staff? I think the biggest thing, it's kind of a, it's a mindset more than anything else. I would guess if I came to you, Eric, and said, hey, I'm a principal struggling with re recognizing my staff, what would you recommend I do? I would guess you'd have some answers for that. That's just a guess. So what happens, I think I'm obviously a male as well. So my, my mom is a nurse. I remember very vividly when my grandfather was passing away, you know, she was standing by his side at the bed and she just had this magical sense about her. She said the right words. She was always willing to kiss him on the cheek and say, I love you. And I was struck by that. I was like, mom, how do you do that? And she said, it's just out of love. Hmm. I do it out of love. And at that point, she also knew there wasn't much time left to be able to say the things that you need to say or want to say. So I think that that's that same kind of mindset applies for administrators. I'm guessing you love your staff. I'm guessing you adore the work that they do. They're doing amazing things. Our heads get in the way oftentimes because there is, again, the sense of vulnerability. Most leaders don't have a sense of, especially school leaders don't have this vulnerability. Most teachers don't have this vulnerability where they're willing to share things in a small team. But when it comes to public, you know, recognition, appreciation, they struggle with that. Hi, everyone. This is Ross Romano from the Bee Podcast Network, and I'm here to have a quick chat with Crecia Campos-Spivey from our sponsor, the National School Choice Awareness Foundation. Uh, Crecia, you're the director of Foundation's project that's designed to inform Spanish-speaking parents about their children's schooling options. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yeah, absolutely. We're super, super excited. We just launched this September. Uh, we already had a lot of success, so very excited. The idea of this is to reach Spanish-speaking parents that are looking for educational options in their language. Uh, we do not have any favors, just like School Choice Week. We support all different kinds of options from traditional public schools, um, public magnet schools, public charter schools online schools, homeschooling, private school. We just want to give parents the information they need to find the right fit for their children's education in Spanish. Awesome. And, and you did a recent survey and there were a couple of interesting findings there. One is that uh, nearly three in five Hispanic parents, about 59% actively have considered a different schooling option for at least one of their children over the past year. Uh, and you also found that Hispanic and Latino parents were more likely than their non-Hispanic peers to exercise their school choice options in advance of the upcoming school year. Um, what, what are some of the, the findings there? What are some of the reasons why Hispanic parents are really interested in their different options? Yeah, absolutely. One of the things that inspired uh, this project, Conoce Tus Opciones Escolares, is the amount of students the Hispanic students are having in the K-12 system in the U.S. We uh, we were using other studies as well, and we found that pretty much by 2027, uh, Hispanic students will make up to 30% of the students in our, in our K-12 system. So that's quite significant. Right. And so I think we can see that uh, kind of correlates to 
Hispanic parents looking for options. We did find, just like you say, nearly three in five Hispanic parents are considered in school. Um, and we also find one of the interesting things, we do surveys for the general population during National School Choice Week, and we were able to compare these, uh, these findings. And we found that <clears throat> Latino parents are more likely than non-Hispanic parents to exercise the school choice. Um, so it's kind of just interesting to have the, the, the contrast between different groups uh, in the population, yeah. Right. And that's great information to know about. We have a lot of listeners, of course, who are uh, teachers and um, principals, right? And so if they have a lot of students in their schools whose families are Spanish speaking, it's good for them to know about um, what parents are looking for and the different types of options they're exercising. And you also found, you know, there's quite good awareness, I think, and interest in a lot of the school choice options, but Hispanic parents are still facing some challenges in navigating all of those options. What have you learned in that regard? Yeah, absolutely. One of the things that we found that is actually kind of sad is that all the different groups in education, Hispanic students are always, as for now, they are still underperforming any other group. Um, so we found that language can be a barrier mm -hmm. for parents to find and to reserve some of their school choice options. That's why we were inspired to create this new 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 project. Uh, we in the survey we did, we found that about 23% of those school searchers that told us that they were looking for a new school in the last 12 months for their child, they described the process of finding a new school somewhat or very challenging. So we're trying to create and provide tools for parents to have this process less challenging for them and to find a successful school for the child. We also find that uh, more than a third of these school searches, which again are the parents that told us that they were looking for a school in the last 12 months or, or were thinking or change school, 39% uh, preferred more Spanish language information about their school choice. So we are very happy that we provided this information that parents need. And we have got, we have been flooded with, with questions from parents in the first month we had, in the first week, um, we had dozens and dozens of questions from parents asking us about their school choice. So we're very, very happy to be providing information for parents in Spanish. Great. Yes, that's wonderful. So yes, the National School Choice Awareness Foundation of, you know, has been traditionally best known for National School Choice Week, which is coming up um, for 2023 on January 22nd to the 28th. So um, coming up very soon. And But it's great to see the foundation expanding its programs and offerings to be inclusive of more parents and families. And um, where can our listeners learn more about all of these different programs? programs. Absolutely. If you're looking for information in English, schoolchoiceweek.com. And if you're looking for information in Spanish, opcionesescolares.com. Excellent. Well, thank you, Crisia, for being here with us. Thank you for having me. When you say our heads get in the way, you mean like our ego, Eric? Yeah, or just... I, I don't know that I can explain it necessarily other than I feel like I'm really good at showing appreciation to my kids. I love that. I, I adore them. My brother, I don't do that very often. My parents, I don't do that very often. And not that they don't need it. It's just there's something in my head that says you don't need to do this. Like you need to be kind of a macho or, you know, that's not like we're, we're talking about humans here. And especially as a school leader, you have you have people that you want to keep. And I know you have a lot of stuff in your head in terms of, wow, this is amazing how you did X, Y, and Z. The hardest thing is just saying it. And it should be the easiest thing because we're thinking it anyway, right? And I, you can go into any of the worst teachers that you have, not saying you have any of bad teachers, but if you were to rank your teachers, go into the worst one, you're going to find something pretty amazing happening. But we oftentimes we think about the negatives instead of the positives. So part of this is having having the ability and the willingness, probably more importantly, to open your eyes and look for the good that's happening and then post it note, go to the teacher and say, hey, I really appreciate when you so have some sentence starters is important. That way you don't have to try to come up with it. Um, but I, most of it is just there's just an unwillingness to share. There's a I think we have the ideas for it. There's just an unwillingness to share because it, I don't know if it makes us feel 
inferior to, to highlight what somebody else is doing. I'm not sure what the reasoning is, but we have that, all those things in our head. We just have to say it. We have to, again, be willing to, to see it and then be willing to say it. And most of the time, it doesn't matter if it's via email, if it's in person, in person's better, obviously mm -hmm. post-it note, um, at the beginning of a staff meeting, you can share a quick story about something that you saw, but you just have to be willing to put yourself out there and say, my goal is to show appreciation to my people. I don't care how I do it, but I'm going to end up doing it. And then to your point a little bit ago, you mentioned, you know, trying to keep it fair and trying to keep it so everybody gets recognized. Tell your staff in a staff meeting, say, I have a goal of sharing my appreciation with you. I'm not going to do it perfectly. I'm going to miss some of the things you do. You may not get recognized for six months. That doesn't mean that I'm not seeing it, but my goal is to share more appreciation with you. So that's the kind of vulnerability that, that school leaders need is to say, I'm not going to do this perfectly, but I'm going to try. And by the end of the year, you will for sure know that you feel appreciated. I'm going to share that with you. It might not be right away, but I will get to you. I promise. Yeah. And then of course, following through with that's most important. Well, and, and one of my other theories is a lot of administrators aren't good at that because they didn't get it as a teacher and they, they haven't seen it. Did you, did you feel like you got recognition when, when you were in the school? That's a great question. I, I had an instructional coach that I worked with that was very, very good at that. My, most of my, my teacher evaluations are where the, the commendations came. I don't know that I had, we certainly didn't have a process. And by a process, I mean like a monthly recognition, you know, we didn't have anything like that. We had service awards, which to me isn't recognition. That's a process that you're following. And it's, it's nice to celebrate people after five years, but what happens in the other, what, 1700 days before they get to five years? Like that's, we're missing moments all the time. But to answer your question, no, I don't, I don't think I've ever thought about that before. But no, it's, it, it wasn't a part of my history as a teacher was receiving commendations and high fives. I didn't, I didn't get any of that. I don't think. Yeah. Not, I, not because it was intentional. It's because the leaders are putting out fires all day. Right. And if you're the type of teacher that takes care of business and does a good job, you know, administrators tend to leave you alone because they're focused on other things that are burning. I, right. I like, I like telling a story, Eric, my first principal I had, his name was Kevin Kennington. Um, was the ultimate people leader. His new teachers, he would he would buy him ties and and dress clothes and his wife uh, worked in the cafeteria and he would he would hoard like leftover grapes and chocolate milk and he would feed you. Um, and then one thing he did that was that was regular every month, this was before uh, direct deposit paychecks, every month on payday, he would walk the building with the stack of envelopes with our checks. And when he gave you your paycheck, he would give you one specific thing he appreciated that he saw mm. you do that month. Mm. So he'd say, Hey, I saw you coming in um, early to make sure and get stuff ready. Or thanks for, you know, coaching wrestling this season did a great job. And when he left and uh, he was only my principal for a year, when we got a new principal, it was probably November. I asked the secretary, I said, Hey, when am I going to get paid? Um, Cause I just, I thought all principals went room to room and delivered paychecks. And she said, oh. Eric, you've got like three paychecks in your mailbox. They've been there since September. <laughs> oh my goodness. So, wow. I, you know, I, I appreciate he, he set a good example of that. And I learned a lot of good things about how to take care of people mm -hmm. um, first. And, and, but I think he's a, he, he's an exception, not a rule when it comes to administrators. There aren't a lot of administrators that, that operate that way and prioritize people over everything else. And why, why do you think that is? What's I, your perspective on that? Well, I asked him. I actually I, I invited him to my wedding, and that was something I asked him. I said, Kevin, how did you learn how to do that, or where does that come from? And he said, Eric, I was an elementary principal in a district that had like 35 elementary schools and we only had two maintenance workers. So if I ever wanted anything done or fixed or painted, I would, I would bring donuts and I would buy those guys school shirts and I would give them this and give them that. And he's like, and then I realized if you treat people right, they'll work harder and they'll do more and they'll come in late and they'll do extra and, and do, do whatever we need to, to help the school. And I think he just, 
that that that's really just his personality is he took care of his people and took pride in in his people feeling like they were valued and felt a part of the team yeah no, that's that's amazing and it's it goes back to why why so many teachers are leaving you know pay is not the top of the list it's it's something talked about a lot it's very important i fully believe teachers need to be paid more the reality is it's probably not going to happen to the extent that it needs to be so what are the other levers that you can control so i, I think about the reason teacher leave, teachers leave as I have a bucket of things I can control and a bucket of things I can't control. Focus on the things that you can control. And that is helping teachers feel heard, supported, and valued. That's paying attention to the employee experience. What's it like to work here? It's, you know, am I asking people for their input? Am I asking for suggestions? Am I asking for feedback? Like those are all things that are controllable. And I'm amazed again on the podcast, so many teachers say my principal micromanaged me or one, we had a teacher of the year. She was teacher of the year in 2020 for the state of Indiana, special education teacher of the year. She left a year afterwards. I said, Emily, what? She was glowing about her new company, just glowing about it. I said, what, what's the difference between your new company and the school you worked for? And she said, it's, it's my managers. And I said, well, what are they doing? She said, Eric, my manager asks me how I'm doing. And he listens to the answer. I said, wait a minute, hold on. You left teacher of the year. You left because your manager didn't ask you, your principal didn't ask you how you're doing. She goes, no. Said your special education director didn't ask you how you're doing, no. Said if, if they would have asked you, would you have been honest? Because she had talked before about how she cried for like 18 months before she, she decided to leave. And she said, Eric, I would have started bawling in her words, word vomited and told them everything. But nobody asked her and sat down and said, Emily, how are you doing? So it's, it's the little stuff to your point. It's, it's treating people like humans and understanding that we have a teacher shortage crisis right now in America. What can we do for it? Look at your controllables. How are you treating your people? How are you including them in processes? Are you listening to them? Those are the things that move the needle. Yeah. And if it's something as simple as asking them how they're doing that, that's heartbreaking to hear, especially from a teacher of the year, leaving the profession over, over that. What other thoughts do you have, Eric, on some ways that administrators can work on the employee experience and retaining quality staff? Yeah, I think I'll go back to, to processes a little bit. So making sure that you make it a priority to listen to your people. And I'm, I'm probably just going to keep repeating that for a while because I think a lot of school leaders need to listen to the idea of you have to be open, you know. So um I think one of the big things is we, we have an employee experience framework that we've created called the four principles of connection. We have a, a education psychologist that's on staff and he's, he created this model about the employee experience and the research shows for people to be, to enjoy going to work, which is what we want, because again, happy teachers don't quit. So to make happy teachers, people are looking for a connection with themselves. And that means the organization supports them in better understanding their personal values, their purpose, their dreams. There's a connection with others that people need to make. And that's the relational part. That's feeling like you're part of a cohesive team and you have healthy interpersonal relationships. There's a connection to role. And that's really, you know, the work that I do every day, uh, discovering and fulfilling that ideal role for their unique talents. And then the connection to the organization is, do I see the work that I'm doing in the world, that the work that we are doing as an organization in the world, something bigger than themselves? So when you start thinking through the lens of the four principles of connection, again, connection to self, connection to others, connection to role, connection to organization, when you, when you apply that framework into your decision-making for the employee experience, it unlocks a lot of potential in what you can do with your staff. So our surveys, for example, the survey questions are broken down by four principles of connection. And then we give results and we might realize that as an organization, your connection to organization is low. So for whatever reason, the things you're doing as an organization aren't connecting with your people. And then you can drill down and get more specific as well. But the, the four principles of connection framework, it's, it's not a hard model to remember, but it unlocks so much because you start thinking about the employee experience in a unique way and say, for, for our people to be happy, here's what we have to do for them. We have to help foster and develop these different types of connections and what they do and with whom they do it. Is, is that ultimately the principal's role? I, I think so. 
I think so. So look, looking at your looking at your school or your staff and, and thinking about how can we make sure that our staff feels like they're connected with others, connected with themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the role and then the organization. Yeah. yeah. Because again, that comes back to it's it's all aspects of an employee, right? So that's we, we've included all parts of what it's like to work at an organization. So when you when you have intentionality and purpose behind making those connections, again, it unlocks a lot of potential because you're not you're looking at the holistic teacher now instead of here's the pedagogy part of the teacher or here is the um, the the the, just the connections on their team or a, a PLC of this teacher, but you're looking at the holistic part of the teacher and what do they want? What are they looking for in employment? And that's really, that's, that's what it comes down to is what are your people looking for in employment? If they're not getting it from you, they're going to get it from somebody else. Yeah. And that's not really how we, how we operate as, as schools. I know when you think about new teacher, training or orientation it's like all right curriculum resources technology evaluation system silo um, silo silo yeah and, and very little of it ha- has anything to do with those those connections mm-hmm. and we often maybe maybe we ask in an interview but rarely after that do have i found myself or seen others asking staff you know is this the experience that you that you wanted are you getting getting what you need out of this or not yeah yeah, so Jacob Morgan is a, a business employee experience expert. I love his thinking around the employee experience. So he said, the employee experience, it's like a Venn diagram, right? So on the teacher, on the employee side, you have employee expectations, needs, and wants. So from the teacher side, the employee side, expectations, needs, and wants. And then the employer, the organization has expectations, needs, and wants as well. The best employee experience is when that Venn diagram overlaps as much as possible. And the things that the employee needs, wants, and expects from work is what the employer is offering them. And you have no way of knowing how you are on that Venn diagram unless and until you ask people for their input, which is where an employee experience type survey comes in. So here's what I know people are looking for. Scale one to five, how do you feel about these different areas, different criteria? And it's it's not focused on, you know, it's, it's focused solely on the employee experience, which again is a new frame for a lot of, of school leaders. It's not just, are you getting the supports you need as far as the resources in the classroom? It's not, what do you think of our behavior management plan? It's, are we communicating well? Do you feel appreciated? Are you receiving actionable feedback that helps you consistently improve in your performance? Like that's the kinds of things that people want in their employer. And as, as long as you are working towards that Venn diagram closing, you're making progress. If you're completely separate and what the expectations, needs, and wants of the employer are are different than the employee, that's where you have retention problems. That's when you have attrition. That's when you can't fill classrooms anymore. Yeah. And I, and I think there's probably a lot of schools and districts that don't even make that clear as an employer, what their expectations and needs and wants are. And that's why people take a job and find out, whoa, this is not my kind of place. Um, And ultimately why, you know, when, when people are looking at making a move or exploring options in other organizations, what they do is they call employees that work there and say, what's it like? Um, And that has a big impact. So that's probably something that schools could do a better job of is just being, being upfront about that. I know Jethro, um, he talks about that in his latest book. He calls applicants as soon as they finish their application and says, hey, this is what it's like to work at our school. This is what we expect. And if that's not your kind of place, um, let me know now so we don't waste your time with an interview. And, Mm -hmm. you know, that's a neat thing because I think people, people appreciate that. If that's the kind of school they want to work in, they're excited, um, they want to be there. And if it's not, you know, it saves them interviewing or even worse, accepting a position, being miserable, and you have another opening next year. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. So Jethro is weeding out people to begin with. So from the employer side, that's beneficial. From the employee side, I know what it's like to work here. He's also differentiating, differentiating himself really quickly by saying, I'm, I have expectations. I know what it's like. I know what I'm looking for. So that by itself is a step ahead of most people. which is I'm going to chase after everybody because right now you kind of have to in in a lot of cases. Um, But yeah, that's that's a way of thinking about 
how do I differentiate myself? What is my, what's my competitive advantage at this school? Another business term, right? In businesses, talk a lot about the competitive advantage. What separates me from everybody else? I would ask school leaders that same question. What separates your school from everybody else? It's probably not going to be curriculum. It's probably not going to be, you may have some resources that other schools don't have. What separates you is going to be your culture. It's going to be your employee experience. So that's what you need to leverage. That's what you need to, again, enhance and, and, and continue to grow because I, I was one of what, seven elementary schools, you know, within my district, which is part of many districts. We're not going to get people to come because of our curriculum. Mm-hmm. We're not going to come because of, you know, it's going to be the people that we have, the employee experience that we have. Yeah. And most of us can't, you know, say, Hey, it's the pay, it's the benefits. It's the, yeah the fluffy stuff. Yeah. That's, that's one of my fears, Eric. I, I was at the um, state principals conference this week and, you know, talking to some other principals that we're really lucky here. We don't have a single vacant teaching position and I'm so thankful for that. Um, but a lot of other schools do, they have multiple vacancies. And, and what I heard from other principals is Eric, man, I'm, I'm having to lower the bar so low when it comes to expectation of teachers, because, um, one of the principals said, Eric, you know, if I decide to, let's say non-renew a teacher or, or, make the decision to go in a different direction with a non-tenured teacher, one real possibility is it'll go unfilled. Yeah. And, and the question he was asking himself is what's worse, uh, a long-term sub slash combining classes because I won't fill it or leaving a, an ineffective teacher in the classroom. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of a scary thought that I, I've never been in that position. Um, and I feel lucky that, that's not something we've faced yet, but yeah, if yeah. we don't, we don't figure this out and get more people in the profession and, and keep more quality people, that's, that's probably going to be a reality. Yeah. And, and to that point, I think the other, the other extremely powerful part of thinking through the lens of the employee experience is, so I have a younger brother who's 11 years younger than me. And he saw me growing up, get into education he was getting ready to enroll in college and said, Eric, I want to be a teacher. And I said, no, you don't. <laughs> so here I am, I'm an educator telling my brother who I'm sure would be an amazing teacher. You don't want to be in education. He's like, well, why is that? I said, well, <laughs> where do you want me to start? Right? Lots of reasons. But when, when teachers have an employee experience, that's positive, the narrative, their stories change. Because most teachers that leave say, I wasn't appreciated, I didn't feel valued, I wasn't supported. All of those things, that, again, controllables versus uncontrollables, those are controllables. So when we create an environment where teachers choose to stay, and they choose to stay because it's positive, not because they get a paycheck every time, but when you're, when you're part of a team, when you have those four different connections, what they tell their nieces and nephews and cousins and family members is, I like what I'm doing right now. I really enjoy the people I work with. My principal is amazing. I can't imagine doing anything else. And then you have enough of those stories that get told. We don't have as much of an attracting recruiting problem because we have more college enrollees. Why do we have more college enrollees? Well, because they're hearing about how good it is to be a teacher. So yes, we can do, we can do emergency licensure programs, right? We can have veterans teach the classroom. There's nothing wrong with any of that. But research shows that non-traditionally trained teachers are two to three times more likely to leave than a traditionally trained teacher. Yeah. So if you're already losing 44% in your first five years, 25% in your first year, take that times two or times three for a non-traditionally trained teacher. Well, that's, again, not sustainable. Yeah, what is sustainable? Your pipeline needs to be increased by people traditionally trained. How do you get that to happen? We have to tell positive stories. How do you tell positive stories? has to be a good employee experience. Yeah. And on, on top of your, your family and, and people that you interact with seeing that you love your job and it's a rewarding profession. I always think about, especially with, with junior and senior high school students, how do our kids look at us? Cause if they mm. see a bunch of teachers moping, miserable, complaining, no wonder they don't want to be teachers. That's, that's a great point. Um, and you know, we don't really have, I know some States have, and, and Wyoming has tried to start um, kind of like a future teacher's, organization. Um, but I ask kids all the time, you know, have you ever thought about being a teacher? And when they say no, their reason usually is it doesn't seem fun. 
And yeah. their, their only perception of that is how they see us in the building day to day. Do we love our job? Are we excited to be here? Do we feel like we're contributing? Are we happy? Because yeah. um, if, if they don't see that, who would want to be a teacher if your teachers were miserable? Yeah, I, I bet if you were to ask your teachers, why did you choose to become a teacher? It's because I, 95% of them would say it's because I had a certain teacher mm-hmm. that really unlocked this in me. So like you're, you're spot on. So you think about the reach that one teacher has. I have a classroom, 20, 25 kids in elementary, maybe I have 135 kids in high school. Your, your impact in your reach, you don't realize it, but you're spot on. My demeanor shows what it's like to be a teacher. And if I can show 135 people a day that I love my job, that I enjoy what I'm, what I'm doing, one or two of those are probably going to become a teacher because they've had those positive impacts from teachers. They're seeing that it's enjoyable. The flip side, to your point, if they're seeing teachers that are miserable, I, I'll go do anything else. I don't want yeah. to be a teacher. Yeah. So this, the, scale, the scale of impact is tremendous when you think about it that way. That's a great point. Well, the other thing that I've thought about, Eric, I ask a lot of teachers that I think would make good administrators. Hey, have you considered getting your, your admin degree or have you thought about being a principal? And when they say no and you ask them why, it's because they've seen miserable principals. Oh gosh, I would never do that. I don't want to deal with all the crap you guys deal with and the, the discipline and angry parents and all the issues and putting out mm-hmm. fires. And it's like, well, of course they don't want to be administrators. If we're walking around angry, yeah. um, you know, unhappy in our job, why, why would they want to be an administrator? Mm-hmm. So I think that's yeah. something that administrators need to think about too, is like, are you, are you showing teachers that administration is something worth pursuing? Or is it like, man, this is a punishment that somebody get somebody talked me into and I'm just going to finish yeah. my career out. Yeah. The, that's the, a great point. That's a great point. Yeah. I know when I, you know, I told you the story about my first principal, that's the kind of guy that I thought being a principal was just walking around and handing out paychecks and, and telling people, <laughs> yeah. thank you. I was <laughs> like, man, you, you get paid double what a teacher does just for doing that. Sign me up. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll get my master's degree. <laughs> yeah. So I think even, you know, HR officers in schools and superintendents in schools. So the same thing about listening to your teachers that I talked about for principals, district leaders need to do the same thing. So listen to your principals, survey what's it like to be a principal? What's the employee experience like for your administrators, for your deans, for your assistant principals, for your your chief human resource, whoever those different positions are, you have to understand what their employee experience is like. And if they're if they're not happy, they can go anywhere else they want right now, more than likely. So again, happy teachers don't quit. Happy principals don't yeah. quit, right? Happy superintendents don't quit. How do we make this environment where we have happy people coming in and happy people leaving every day? Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks, Eric. This is this has been great. I want to make sure the listeners know um, what's the best way to get in contact with you. Yeah, I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. Um, so Eric Brandstetter, last name spelled B as in boy, R-A-N-S-T-E-T-E-R. Uh, feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn. Um, if you want to send me an email, you can send an email to eric at iaspireapp.com, eric with a C, and iaspireapp.com. Love to hear from any listeners and and I'm really curious about the employee experience in general. Um, and what, what we can do to serve teachers, to serve principals and create this environment where people choose to stay instead of choose to leave. Great. Well, thanks, Eric. Last, last question we always finish with on the show. Um, what can principals do today to be a more transformative leader like you? Yeah, for me, it comes down to listening. Once again, um, the, the three former educators that I've had in my podcast that all chose to leave they all said the same thing. So that's not me talking as a former administrator. That's me listening to teachers, the high quality teachers that have left. And they said, Eric, I just, I wish, I wish somebody would ask me how I'm doing. I wish somebody would come down and say, what barriers can I remove for you? looks like you're stressed. I wish somebody would um, be willing to, to listen to my input. First of all, ask it, but be willing to listen to the input. And then the next step after listening is doing something, but then doing something and connecting it back to here's the input that I heard. Here's why we're making a change. Your input is valued. I appreciate your feedback. So listening, that's the, that's the most important thing school leaders can do right now, especially because we have such a teacher shortage. Yeah. 
Well, that's great. We can we can do that today. Listen to your people. That's right. Awesome. Absolutely. Well, thanks, Eric. Enjoyed having you on the show today. All right. Thank you. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all these goals. That's IXL.com BE. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flexible time without all the headaches you get with it usually. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com slash BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash BE.